Welcome back to Bible Time. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. This is the produce of discipleship. What discipleship produces, and that's produce. And we're using that kind of a play on word because you could also say it's the fruit of discipleship. A lot of times produce will be fruit. It's fruits and veggies, but it's the life. It's what comes out of the discipleship, how of true discipleship, of biblical discipleship. Uh, We looked in verse 10 at the need for discipleship, how the Apostle Paul prayed night and day, he said, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith, and how that this was attached to his great praise to God for their steadfastness. And there's there's a lot that we didn't even get into in that, Um, just by way, since we're reviewing it, I just want to throw this in while we're there. Um, He said that there, attached to verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. The There's a real plague, an epidemic of churches trying to disciple lost people. And Paul here is telling them, you have a need for discipleship. But what Paul, went, and we've looked at this, Paul's talking to a church here by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, a church that is, pay attention, Paul's talking to a church here that by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is addressing as an ensample church, a a highlight church. This should be a church, if there was a church like Thessalonica in America today, everybody would know about it and want to talk about it. And they'd all be like, man, have you heard about that church at Thessalonica? And that's the church that is getting exhorted that they need discipleship. That's the church that God's saying, hey, you're ready to go on to the next level here. You see what, what, what's happening, what we've got in our minds in the United States and throughout um, all the um, so-called Christian world that tries to teach the Bible to people is that um, people who make a shallow profession of faith in Christ then need to be taught to love God and stand for God and love one another initially. And Paul's saying, no, you already do all of that stuff. And we'll see that here in our text as we as we study on, we'll see that. But it's not that Paul was trying to make them act like Christians. That's not what he was trying to do. And we'll get there. In the midst of his great thanks to God, he also prays that they would be discipled. So we can see here, the we could have a whole message on the qualifications for discipleship. What does it take to even be considered discipleable? Well, you've got to be a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. You've got to be willing to stand, and you've got to have be facing persecution on some level, because the Bible says, yeah, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That does doesn't mean that you've got to get beat with a stick to be discipled, but it does mean that if your life is not holy enough and righteous enough and you're not following Christ enough for anybody in your life to say boo about anything and everybody speaks well of you, you are not a candidate for discipleship. You're not ready to move on. Now, you'd make a great candidate for Bible school. You'd make a great candidate for theological seminary. You'd make a great um, candidate for training unions. You'd make a great candidate 
great for leading vacation Bible schools and ministries. You'd probably even make a great missionary by modern standards, maybe even an evangelist, but you're no candidate for the school of discipleship. Now, the old timers used to say, used to talk about the school of prayer, and they would say, with Christ in the school of prayer. There's an old Andrew Murray book about with Christ in the school of prayer, and they would talk about Christ putting you through his school of discipleship. Now, a professor of religion can become a professor of theology, but it takes a, a someone with a vital, realistic, living faith to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Did you follow that? A professor of religion, a professor of Christianity, a professing believer in Jesus Christ can become a professor of theology. You can get a degree. You can have a church. You can be a pastor. You can have a a position. You can have a salary. You can have it all. But unless you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not qualified to be called a disciple. And a disciple is a trainee. I I cannot emphasize this enough that we're talking about boot camp here. We're talking about the basics. Thessalonica just got out of boot camp. Paul's saying you're ready for advanced training so that you can get into combat someday. We're going to see that. That's literally what this verse is saying. You got out of basic training. Now you're ready for advanced training so that someday you can go into combat and be a useful soldier in the kingdom of God. Absolutely, completely opposite and different from everything that man would teach and that man tries to implement. And I just can't even hardly stay there because we'll just um, waste time running rabbits the rest of the day. So yesterday we looked at the providence of discipleship. God's got to do it, but God uses men when he, does, when he does it. And there were three references to God there. The God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And God himself spoke of the sovereignty of God. How that God in his divine and almighty will has chosen discipleship as the means for true Christian growth. And our Father speaks of the paternity of God And that was a word that some of you had to learn yesterday. What does it mean? What's paternity? Maternity speaks of motherhood. Paternity speaks of fatherhood. Just think of it as this way. Ma and pa. Ma is mom. Pa is dad. Paternity. Paternity. Maternity is the female side of it. Motherhood. Paternity is the male side of it. The fatherhood. God is our father if we're saved. And God as our father has ordained the means of discipleship and places you under tutors in order to grow you in the faith. And if you fight the tutors, you fight God. If you fight the school teacher, if your if your dad and mom put you in a in a Christian school, for example, and tell you to go to that school, and you fight the teacher, you are fighting your parents by def, by um by extension. You're fighting your parents by extension because they placed you under that authority. And so God as a father places us under the training of godly men who are proven in the faith and faithful men to train you up in the way that you should go. And this is how he shows his fatherly care for us. And then we have our Lord Jesus Christ and that showed his intercessory work. How that discipleship is also an intercessory work. That first of all Jesus Christ is called 
constantly representing you to the Father as a lost person who's just been saved and therefore has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you're presented to God as one who was lost but now is found. But then the intercessory work of Jesus Christ continues on in the life of the believer and Christ is praying through um, to the Father, interceding on your behalf and his and here it's linking Christ to your discipleship. So if you if you're going to grow in Christ, God is going to give you teachers who will grow you up in the knowledge of Christ and Christ himself is interceding the Father on your behalf that that teacher will teach you right and that you will receive that. And all three of these things, the sovereignty of God, the paternity of God, the intercessory work of God collude, work together, come together in the providential benevolent act of God on your behalf of providing discipleship for you. He says, God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Now we get into the produce of discipleship. True discipleship will produce the fruit of Almighty God in your life. He says here in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your care. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for those that you have given me to teach me, Lord. And I've not, I don't have anything, Lord, that I've not received from you. And much of what I've received from you, I've received from man that you have used. Even, Lord God, sometimes some pretty um, seemingly, seemingly some men with a lot of shortcomings sometimes, Lord God, but men that you've ordained to teach me things, and Lord, that as I've looked to you, you've taught me through those men, and I thank you for those men. I thank you for how you've used them, Lord God, and I worship you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Please help us today and teach us and help us to submit our hearts to your ways in Jesus' name, amen. So here in First Thessalonians, again, you need to see this here. He says, and the Lord make you to end Increase and abound in love. He did not say, and the Lord give you love because you lack it. Copy. Now, the Corinthian church in chapter 3, Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians, he says there, when the time has come that I should be teaching you, um, giving you meat, he says, I've got to give you milk because you're babes in Christ. And then what does he immediately hit them on? He hits... Lord, help us. I, there's so much here. How can we even get to it all? Help us, Lord. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And he says, For one, while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? So here the, Cor the Corinthian church had teachers, multiple teachers. The Corinthian church had some serious Bible preachers. It was a camp meeting church. It was a conference church. It was a seminar church. <coughs> it was a best Christian authors type of church. This was a church that was moving for God. The Corinthian church had all the gifts. You can read about it later. And the Corinthian church prided themselves in all the gifts and the manifestations of the gifts. The Corinthian church had understanding. The Corinthian church had a school that the Apostle Paul teached on on weekdays. He'd preach on the Sabbath days evangelistically. <coughs> Excuse me. 
and then he would teach on the weekdays. And he says, in the school of one Tyrannus, if I remember right, I didn't look it up, I wasn't planning on going there. But the Apostle Paul would teach at the Corinthian church, and they had Bible teaching, they had Bible teachers, they had Bible preachers, they had Bible gifts, they had prophecy, they had tongues, they had all these things. And he said, you're carnal. I can't speak unto you as unto men. I've got to speak unto you as children, as little babes in Christ. Listen to me, Paul called them babies. He said, you're just a bunch of babies. Now they were, <coughs> excuse me, they were a good church. I'll take some of that water, please. They were a good church. If there was a church that could measure up to Corinth today, we'd probably all be talking about that church. They were a good church. <coughs> but God here, through the Apostle Paul, told them, you're carnal. Why? They're fighting with each other. They're fighting with each other. This is when you're still fighting with each other, you're still in boot camp. When you are still dealing with things like loving one another, you're in boot camp. <coughs> you haven't even gotten to the advanced training yet. You are not productive. You will not be productive. You cannot be productive. You are useless in God's army, except as a trainee that has future value. Now, you are valuable to Christ because you're a lost, dying soul that he died on the cross to save, and he loves you. And he says to the Corinthian church, you're called to be saints. So because of what you're called to be, because of what God looks at you as in Christ, you have worth, but as far as any practical usefulness on earth, you are a big fat zero. As long as you are fighting and fussing and into all these infightings and arguments and, oh, here's my favorite preacher and I don't like that preacher and I like this preacher, you like that preacher and all this back and forth. And you know so much doctrine, you can make a, a theologian's head swim. You've listened to all the greats, you read all the books, but you're carnal because you don't love one another. Paul here tells the Thessalonican church, he says, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another they've already got the love now this is evident throughout look at first thessalonians 1 3 remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our lord jesus christ in the sight of god and our father here he commends the thessalonican church for their love in chapter 1 verse 3 look at chapter 3 and verse 6 just a few verses before but now when timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that you have and that you have good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you so here's these good tidings and he mentions primarily in their, their faith and charity. So first of all, they believe God. Secondly, they have charity. They love one another. And this is where it starts. This is basic training for the Christian. Until you get faith down and love down, you are dead in the water. You're not going anywhere else. But if you get faith and love, you are ready for the school of discipleship. Now you are a greenhorn. Did you hear me? This is Bible. Now you're a greenhorn. Now you're a raw recruit. Just out of basic training. You don't even have your private stripe yet. You're not even the bottom rank. You know what they call somebody in basic training is a recruit. 
Once you get out of basic training, you get your one stripe, and it means you're, and it says now you're a private, you're, or maybe an airman. You are the bottom of the bottom, a seaman in the Navy, the bottom of the totem pole, the bottom of the rank pile. And then you go to advanced training, and they still treat you halfway like you're in basic training. And you'll spend the next several weeks in advanced training where they're trying to mold you into something usable. Basic training breaks you, advanced training training makes you. That's the difference. And that's how God works. Salvation is a breaking. Sanctification is a making. And God wants you to not only be saved, to be broken, but to go on and grow up and get some advanced training in the school of discipleship so that you can be useful in the kingdom of God. And until you get it, you are useless in the army of God except in the terms of future potential. And in that, you are very valued and very worthwhile and a cherished, precious possession of Almighty God thanks to the blood of Jesus Christ. So go to John 15 and verse 9. John 15 and verse 9. Here again, we've been here several times lately. Uh, this is a hallmark place. This is These are some of Jesus' last words to His disciples. And this is where He gives the commands to love one another. Here in verse 9, He says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is is my commandment, verse 12, that ye love one another as I have loved you. That ye love one another as I have loved you. He says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now again, Basic training is where you learn how to obey orders. You learn how to fold your socks a certain way, how to fold your shirt a certain way, how to march in step, how to stand still without moving, how to look straight in front of you and not be distracted, how to obey your commander whenever there's noise and distraction and all kinds of things going on, how to drop and do push-ups when you don't do your job, how to do jumping jacks, how to run, how to stand again for a very long time, how to wait in line how to be patient, how to sit and not move from your spot when you're told to sit and stay. Literally, basic training is obedience training. Sit, stay, roll over, stand up, beg, speak like a man. They teach you the basic, basic commands, and they're teaching you to stop relying on yourself and start relying on your commanding officers and to obey orders. Follow orders. In fact, some people, when they go to basic training, they're like, man, these guys don't even want me to think. That's exactly right. In basic training, they don't want you to think. They want you to obey. They've got enough thinkers. You're a stinker. They just want you to obey and learn to not be a stinker. Later, they'll take you to advanced training and teach you how to think. And this is how it works in God's army too. The first level, the first hurdle you've got to get past is faith, believe, and obey God. 
The second hurdle is to love one another. If you can get through that, you'll make it through basic training. In basic training, they want to teach you to operate as a unit. They want to teach you to march together, move together, act together, think about one another, back each other up, help each other, guard each other, guide each other, watch out for each other, and take care of each other. And that unity is probably the second greatest thing that's taught in basic training or desired to be taught. First, they teach you to obey. Secondly, they teach you to be part of a unit. They want you to be part of a team so that you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the team and you're going to do whatever it takes to help the team be successful, even if you've got to let your whole team walk over your back. And that's what God is doing with us. In basic training, you learn to obey and you learn to love. That's the raw, basic, starting, building blocks of Christianity. And a lot of times, Christians that learn to have faith in God and they learn to love one another, they think they've arrived. They get the little stripe on their shoulder and they're like, man, we've really made it a long way. And in fact, our churches and our seminaries, if we can get a Christian who will just follow God enough to just obey the basic things in the Bible and love one another, we think we've got a giant of the faith on our hands, which just shows you how carnal we are. So God wants to take you from that point into advanced training. It says, and the Lord make you to increase and abound. Ministry happens from overflow. Paul's desire here is that they increase and abound. Your usefulness for the cause of Christ does not begin until your cup runneth over. Whenever you are trying to get a drink and you've only got enough water to give yourself one drink, you don't have anything to give anybody else. But when your cup is running over and you fill it up and you drink all you can drink and it's still got water in it, now you've got something to give to somebody else. Ministry happens from the overflow. The Bible says in the Psalm, I believe 23, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The anointing of God, the teaching of the Holy Spirit of God, the anointing that you have teacheth you, it says in 1 John. Do you hear me today? So the anointing that you have teacheth you. The anointing of the Holy Spirit of God teaches you. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. This is discipleship. The Holy Spirit of God at the is the fountainhead. He is the source. He is he is he is the spring from which the fountain of living water flows out of the belly of the believer. That river of life-giving water. How wonderful it is to see children love one another. Isn't it wonderful when you see two children and they love each other and they're sharing their toys and they're playing nicely? But even as they're being nice and they're sharing, they're not pouring their life into others. They're being poured into. Where'd they get their toys? Did they buy them for themselves? No, they were given to them. Where'd they get the clothes they're wearing? Their mom and dad. Where'd they get the food that's in their bellies that even gives them enough contentedness to be playing toys? Mom and dad, everything in their life is being poured into them. And it's wonderful to see them loving one another and sharing with each other. That's a good thing, isn't it? But they're not 
contributing to other people's lives. But then something interesting happens. About the teenage years, things start to change. And all of a sudden, they start to desire a spouse. And if nature takes its course as God designed it, they'll get married. And then when they get married, if nature takes its course again as God designed it, along comes a little child. And all of a sudden, these two people that were just young people just a minute ago, just a, just a, just a year ago, they were just young people being poured into. All of a sudden, there's somebody in their home that they have to pour into. And they suddenly realize what it means to be a mom and dad to some degree. And they become poorer outers instead of poor into mirrors. Okay, this is what God wants to do with you. This is what God wants to do with his church. He wants you to grow up. Now, in that process, in order for children to do that, they must be fed, nurtured, clothed, etc. Most children that grow up in the streets hunting garbage, never getting training, never getting taught, never amount to anything more than garbage scavengers. Most do not. It's a rare exception. So God puts most in a church and he gives them teachers. He gives them pastors to disciple them. (coughs) (coughs) And in the sense of the birth of a church, we studied that out in the apostolic ministry there in chapter two. You can look at that and how that is by far the most discipling of a ministry of all is the apostolic ministry of the Apostle Paul. That's what he did. He discipled all these churches up to start these churches. Now, much fruit here in John 15. It says in verse 2 in John 15, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So do you see here that just because you start to bear fruit doesn't mean that God is done. This is critical. Because what will happen is you think that just because you got married, you have made it and you are now an adult and you think you have the right to be treated like an adult. And then your little baby comes along and every year from then on, you realize a little more about how much less you know than what you thought you knew. As those little babies grow and suddenly you can't remember what their temperature is supposed to be and they're too hot and now you're worried about them and they're throwing up and then wait, what color was that stool? Can you believe that came out in the diaper? All these things start happening and you start realizing you're not quite as smart as you thought you were and you start going back to the teachers that you didn't listen to quite as well as you should have when you were younger. Because now the need has hit you. And that's what happens to Christians as well. He says, every branch that beareth the fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. God's will for you is much fruit. The same bringeth forth much fruit. Verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. We'll get back to some more verses here in John 15 later. God's God's thing here, God's purpose is much fruit. There is no place for stagnation in the life of a Christian. Some people say if you stop going forward, you start going backwards. There's some truth to that. 
There is no place for stagnation. There is no time to waste. No mountain peak experience that you can go through will absolve you from the, from the urgency and the need to abound in fruit. And that will take a lifeline, a lifetime application in the school of discipleship. Now, whenever you get through the basics of advanced training and you go on and start doing your job in the military, you'll find out that they have continuing education and they'll bring you in to teach you some of the same things you've already learned and some new things that have just been discovered and also to remind you of the laws and the regulations and they'll go over all that stuff for you in your continuing education and so it is in the life of a Christian. Now, we have such a short life and so many to warn to flee from the wrath to come. So many sheep to feed. So many devils to battle. We do not have time to stagnate. Your purpose is a higher purpose than just to be saved so that you don't go to hell. And it's a bigger purpose than just learning the basics of having assurance of salvation and loving each other, faith and loving one another. God wants you to produce much fruit. Now, not only is the standard of love for one another far higher than human love can reach, as he says, God, may the Lord Jesus cause you, (coughs) the Lord Jesus, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward another, but it is also higher than human love can reach in love toward the lost. It says, and toward all men. So we're not only to abound in love toward one another, but toward all men. In John 15 and verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. And that's key to this section of the lesson. Pay close attention. As I have loved you. This is the measure. If you are not loving as Christ loved you, you are not measuring up to the standard. And you need work. This is the appropriate time for somebody to say, we're all a work in progress. Not when somebody says, abstain from fornication. Okay? Boy, that just absolutely rubs me wrong because it rubs God wrong whenever we use I'm still a work in progress to excuse living in a life of fornication, etc. That's not what we're talking about. This is where Christian growth is. Do you see? Am I the only one here that's getting this? We make Christian growth about basic obedience. Oh, you need to grow in Christ. Yep, that guy just, you need to give him some time to grow. He needs to stop looking at porn. He needs to stop beating his wife. He needs to stop cussing. He needs to stop drinking liquor and smoking. And he needs to show up at church at least once a month. And then we'll say, yeah, he's growing a little. That's not Christian growth. That's basic training. That's basic obedience to Christ. And God will take you through that. What God wants to do, listen, if you have to force feed somebody all of that kind of stuff, then you're probably dealing with a lost person. That's basic. But where God gets in with discipleship is in getting you to love one another and all men and your love to abound more and more to increase and to abound toward all men. This is 
the purpose of Christian growth. This is the purpose of discipleship. There is no room in Christian growth for sin. Sin is dealt with in 1 John chapter 1 where he says, if any man say he have no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is great, faithful, and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he says, my little children, these things I say unto you that ye sin not. That's dealt with in another place. Christian growth deals with practical boots on the ground love. Loving one another practically in a exercise of daily faith and living it out. And loving all men practically on a daily basis. This is what Christian growth is about. Jesus says here in John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if I do what if ye do whatsoever I command you. So this greater love of laying down your life for your friends is what he speaks of as as I have loved you. But I want you to think about that for just a second. When Jesus Christ laid his life down for you, were you acting friendly to Christ? Go to Romans 5. Think about that question. What condition were you in when Jesus Christ laid down his life for you? Romans 5 and verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ did not die for the righteous. He died for the ungodly. He said the Son of Man, Christ, he said, is come into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. He came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom... Paul said, I am chief. Here in verse 6, he says, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Somebody might go out on a limb and die for a good man. But, verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us. Your Bible should be open. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We were on the way to hell. We were on the way to eternity apart from God. Death and hell will be raised up from the dead at the great white throne of judgment and judged and found guilty of sin against Almighty God and cast into the eternity of the lake of fire. And we were on our way to that fate when Jesus Christ left his eternal home in heaven and came to earth and became a man born of the Virgin Mary and lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross for your sins and was buried and rose again. True discipleship has as its results, as its produce, as its impact, as its produce, as its efficacy as its measurable stats as what comes out of it its produce production love for the lost who are far from god how are we to love we are to love as christ loved and what a study that is and what a great long time it takes to learn that there's so much to learn (coughs) 
John said that if the if everything that Christ did in his earthly ministry were written, the heaven itself could not contain the scrolls that would be filled. The study of Christ is a lifelong study. Apathy must be overcome with love, and love must be tempered with wisdom. Christ's unconditional love issued out in a conditional salvation. The extremes are deadly. If you have apathy, it leads to indifference, and it, which is completely godless. And you let the lost, dying world go to hell, and you don't even shed a tear, much less, much less raise a finger or move your tongue to warn them. But if you err on the side of emotionalism and allow your human love for people to be that which is expressed through you instead of the divine love of Christ with its limits and its temperance and its wisdom, then you will err on the side of labor being in vain and you will become a preacher of lasciviousness and you will fail possibly of the grace of God yourself if you're living on human love. Ezekiel 16 and verse 6 says that it likens the lost Israelites there and we can, we can extrapolate that to ourselves. We can apply that to ourselves there. Um, though we understand in the context this was speaking to the house of Judah and, uh, and of the Israelites there. Ezekiel 16 and verse 6, he speaks of, the, of his chosen people as a little baby. Back, back in verse 4, and as for thy nativity in the day when thou wast born thy navel was not cut neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee thou wast not salted at all nor swaddled at all none I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee to have compassion upon thee but thou wast cast out into the in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day when thou wast born I want you to see the love of God here in verse 6 and when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned, and thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yea, I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. And this is the pattern of Christian growth. It also holds true um, in the Song of Solomon in similar language. The breasts he speaks about are fruitfulness. That's what he's talking about. And the woman was made to be a help unto the man and for the man and the woman to bear children together and raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God said in the book of Malachi, what for? I seek a godly seed, he said. I seek a godly seed. And God's purpose for you as his church, his purpose for you as part of the bride of Christ, his purpose for you as gathered together with the, the local assembly of the bride of Christ, operating in the blessing and covenant of the bride of Christ, is for you to bear fruit, which is to bear children and to nurse them 
to age, to bring them up, and then to wean them, and to bring them the food, the meat, and the potatoes, and the vegetables that will help them to grow, so that they in turn can do likewise. This is God's purpose. It's reproduction, spiritual reproduction. Discipleship is about spiritual reproduction. You cannot stay a child forever, contrary to popular opinion. They call this generation the millennials. What is a millennial? Well, if you can get past all of the Cheeto crumbs and the big scruffy beard and the cup of coffee and the pajamas and the video games underneath there, there is an atrophied little wimp of a man that was supposed to grow up and become a full-fledged adult that could take care of himself and raise a family. And that's what God wants for his church. But what we have going on in our millennials generation and generation X and all this stuff out here with a bunch of never leave home video game heads that are sitting there at 35 years of age laying on their mommy's couch is what we have in our church houses today spiritually. If we even have somebody that's faithful enough to stay on mommy's couch and not just leave and go into the world altogether, we feel like we have been successful as a church in this generation. And that is not God's purpose. God has a higher purpose. God's purpose for you is to not only be a newborn babe in Christ, but to grow by the milk of the word and then to take the meat of the strong doctrine of God's holy word, rightly divided, scripture compared with scripture. Learn to taste the word of God with your spiritual tongue. As your tongue tastes meat, so learn to let your heart taste words and your ear taste words and taste it and see that the Lord is good. Learn to spit out the bad. Learn to take in the good. Learn how to eat. Learn how to prepare food. Learn how to feed others food. Learn how to raise a family yourself. This is God's purpose in discipleship, that you might increase and abound. And again, it's square one is learning to obey Christ's basic commands. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Be separate from sinners. You say, where are you at, preacher? Uh, sometimes I think I'm still in basic training. Sometimes I think I'm, I might be a little bit into advanced training, but this is where I'm trying to get by God's grace. This is what I want in my life to follow Jesus and to be able to take the word of God and to teach others also. That's what he told Timothy to do. And that's what God wants the church to do, to be able to carry forward the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, apathy must be overcome with love and love must be tempered with wisdom, patience, experience, hope, etc., as we studied yesterday. Go to Matthew 5 and verse 43. He says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now that's hard. That requires death to self. 
at dying to self. But Christ did not just lay down. When he loved other people, he didn't just lay down at the first opposition. They tried to kill him for three years. But until his father told him it was time to die, they couldn't catch him. Sometimes he slipped out. Sometimes he hid himself. Sometimes he avoided out of their presence. And that's where this wisdom comes in. Love isn't a weak, mealy-mouthed, defenseless situation. Love, we are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But listen to me carefully. It takes time in the word of God and time taking the word to the world to develop balanced, practical Christ-likeness. It takes time. There's no way to get around it. It takes time. We talked about that recently. Line upon line, precept upon precept. So Mark chapter 10. Let's go there real quick and look at one example of how Christ loved someone. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. And there's the deity of Christ right there. Either Jesus is not good or he's God. You have no two ways about it. You've got a choice to make. You say, oh, Jesus was good. He was perfect. He was a perfect man. If he wasn't God, he was not. And he could not be. And such is an absolute blasphemy. You've got a choice to make. Jesus gives you the choice. Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one. That is God. Verse 19, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, get and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take come, take up thy cross and follow me. And he was sat at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus let him go. So Jesus loved this man. How did he love him? I'm asking, how did he love him? What did Jesus do? What was the expression of his love? Did he just sit there and feel gushy feelings for the man? That's useless. That's dead love, fake love. What did he do? I'm serious. I'm asking. Somebody speak up. Is that what he did? He told him the truth. You're right. Huh. How about that? He told him the truth. I'm telling you, if you want to understand how to love and increase in love toward them that are lost and toward the brethren, you've got to study Christ. So he told him the truth, and the man went away sad at that saying, and Jesus let him go. You mean Jesus loving the man didn't chase him down and hang on his coattails and beg him and scream at him, you're going to hell, you're going... No, he didn't. I'm telling you, if you want to understand love and increase in love toward them that are toward the lost and toward the brethren, you better get in the Bible. You better get enrolled in the school of discipleship because your idea of love is warped. As the Bible says in the Old Testament, thy own knowledge hath perverted thee. Your idea of love, human love is almost always opposite of God's love. And we're called to love as he loved. He said, I, he said, as I have loved you. That's the command. That's the measure. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. 
Now, Romans chapter 1, um, verse 11 parallels this. We're going to stop by there, and then we're going to jump into our final section here, even as we do toward you. So go to Romans chapter 1. Can't find my own place. And verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And then there you can see in verse 13 how he was even hindered, which is what that word let means originally. I was let hitherto. But in any case, here is a parallel where Paul was trying to get to the church at Rome to impart this spiritual gift. This is God's way for every church. We have three things here that we're looking at in the produce of discipleship. First, we looked at increasing and abounding in love one toward another. Then we looked at increasing and abounding in love toward all men. Now we're going to look at increasing and abounding in love even as we do toward you. How was it that Paul had loved this church? Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. Now, we've studied this in detail, so we're not going to get very far, very deep into this. But when Paul began his ministry, whenever he was saved, did you know that Paul was sent by God on the road to Damascus? If you read his story to Agrippa, he tells, whenever he tells his story in the book of Acts to Agrippa, he tells that, or was it when he's on the stairs carried there by the Roman soldiers after the mob was about to kill him? In one of those times that he tells his story, he says that God sent him to the Gentiles. And God sent him on the road to Damascus. This idea where you have to prop up Christians, where you get them to pray this little prayer, and then you have to take them to a school for how to behave, a school for what to say, a school for how to dress, a school for how to do all these things is a false concept produced by false witnesses who produce false converts who produce false churches. The whole thing is a mess and it's a joke. If you're born again by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God will teach you. But as He teaches you and as He evidences and manifests His teaching of you through your love for one another, and your obedience to God, there will be a school of discipleship that God will providentially enroll you in, without which you will never grow to be what God wants you to be, but with which you can be a soldier in the army of God. And what a badge of honor. It is a badge of honor. The world doesn't look like it is one. See, the world always wants the shortcuts. The world wants it easy. The world wants five steps to a powerful Christian life, apart from long hours of watching and prayer and time in the Word of God and obedience to the Lord. But that's not how God works, and it's not how you're going to get there. So, um, here he says, even as we do toward you, how was their love manifested? First of all, Paul manifested his love for them through study of his word. In Galatians um, chapters 1 verse 18 and 2 verse 1, it tells us that he was three years in the wilderness and then 14 years um, before he went up to Jerusalem again to communicate with them the gospel that he preached. Um, In 1 Thessalonians 3.10, he manifested his love for them through prayer. Go ahead and turn there. Um, He taught them the epistles. As we're turning to Thessalonians, you are about to turn to a place in the Bible that is an evident manifestation of the love of the Apostle Paul for the church at Thessalonica. He wrote them an epistle, and then he wrote them another one. And these are living evidences and proofs of his love. Look at 3.10 of um, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. 
And here he says, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face. So Paul manifested his love for them in prayer, but then he loved his, his, he manifested his love for them in going to them and preaching to them. You say, that's really simple. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. That's a manifestation of love. It takes true Christian love to give up what you want to do, your career, your life, your home, and go to other people where they're at and bear long with them and be long-suffering to them and teach them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Acts 17.1, it tells us when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where it was a synagogue of the Jews. And we've read this in detail. But he says, And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. And they ran them out of town. They, um, it says there in verse 9, When they had taken security of Jason and of the other brethren that the Jews had captured and the mob had captured, they let them go. Verse 10, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. And it says there that the Jews of Thessalonica, in verse 13, had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people, and the brethren, then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timothy abode there still, and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. So Paul had to go 300 miles away from this city. He was run off, but he says here in 1 Thessalonians, endeavoring more abundantly to see your face. He was desperate to try and get there. He tried to get there, but he said in the last chapter that we read, Satan hindered us. In verse 18, he says, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. And there in Romans um, chapter 1 in verse um, 13, he says, now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto. I was blocked. I was prevented. And he says that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He wanted that produce, the fruit. But he was let, he was blocked, he was prevented, he was kept back. This is manifestation of his love for the church at Thessalonica. You say, what on earth does that have to do with what we're talking about? This is what Paul wanted them to turn into. Paul wanted the church at Thessalonica to grow until they could do what he had done. He wanted them to grow until they could receive ascending from on high, until they could carry the gospel to other people, until they would disciple others, until they would care enough for the lost to go to the lost and tell them about Jesus. Love for the lost means telling them the truth and letting them go if they want to go but telling them the truth and warning them. That's what Christ did for the rich young ruler. And there's much more to it that takes a much a long, a lot of study together. But this is God's will for you. This is God's purpose for you. Now, we've got, we've got ditches here. I'm struggling, really struggling with this lesson. My mind's going too many places at once for one thing. We've got a bunch of people out here that go out and get somebody to go through the motions to join their church. Some of them baptize. Some of them have them repeat a dead prayer, a faithless prayer, a little, a bit, a little bit of liturgy, three steps, 
and you'll be saved. Just do this little thing. One, two, three, repeat after me type of prayer. And then we're going to baptize you. And then we're going to put you in our classes. And we're going to teach you to pull your pants up and wear a belt and tuck your shirt in and put a tie on. And then we're going to, once you get that figured out, we're really getting somewhere. We're going to stuff some gospel tracks in your hand and we're going to take you to the bus station at the back of the church and load you up on a bus and haul you out somewhere and get you to stuff tracks in other people's hands. And this is what we think of Christian discipleship has nothing to do with it at all. What here, what Paul is trying to do, what he's trying to accomplish is to accomplish a, a bringing up, a nurturing, and a, and a bringing up in the admonition of the Lord that causes the church at Thessalonica to be as effective as he is. Not by memorizing methods, but by abounding and increasing in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do to you. It's by love. And if you try and get people, if you train people to pull their pants up and they can't figure it out themselves... And you've got to train people to show up at church on time. And you've got to train people to carry gospel tracts. And you've got to train people to have a pocket full of tracts and to hand them out everywhere they go. And you've got to train people to have a list of Bible verses to read to people. And you've got to (coughs) train people on how to get people to feel obligated to come to church with them and get baptized and go through the same training classes. You're no better than a Jehovah's Witness. I don't care what you got on the sign. Independent, fundamental, King James only. Go down the list. Pre-millennial, blah, 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 blah. You can name it all. But if you don't have love, if you don't have the power of God expressed through love for one another and love for the lost so that you've gotten out of boot camp and you're moved into advanced training and God is discipling you through his teachers, then you are a shell, an empty shell. We've got to get back to reality. We're not talking about discipleship where you get a bunch of pamphlets in the mail. And you read the little pamphlet and then you check the little boxes at the end that say, I completed it and mail it back so that you can pump up some guy's ego that wrote the pamphlets. Do you hear me? We're talking about practical life on life discipleship. That's why the Apostle Paul wanted to be there. Did you notice he did not count writing this epistle as discipleship? You want to talk about discipleship material. Here it is. It turned out to be the inspired word of God, and he might not have even realized it was while he was writing it. But here it is, the inspired word of God, discipleship material. But he's saying, I need to get there. I need to be there. And that's what it's going to take. And for those of you listening online, that's what it's going to take for you too. You need to be around godly people. There's some cases, in extreme cases, where God doesn't allow it to happen. But you either need to move to where you can get help and where people can help build you up in the faith, in the holy faith, in the word of God, or you need to pray and get on your face until God births a holy New Testament Bible-believing, devil-chasing church in your area. One of the two has got to happen. You cannot live out there by yourself. God did not design you that way. There's rare exceptions to that whenever God allows it to be done so that he can prove to everyone that it really is all God and no, nothing to do with man. And it is. And if you th- and go back and listen to Providence of Discipleship if you doubt that I believe 
that it takes God and God alone. You got to be filled with the Holy Spirit to live this, by the way. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit of God. It takes time in the Word of God. It takes the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. But this is the produce of discipleship. This is the fruit of discipleship. Increasing and abounding in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do to you. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you'd use this in spite of my fumblings and bumblings. And Lord, I pray that this would stand in the gap for some people that maybe lack it somewhere. But Lord, I pray that you would burden their hearts and burn in their hearts the need to be around your, um, your teachers and preachers, Lord God, the need to be in their presence, Lord. We need each other. We need to be around one another, and we need to hear the gospel preached from each other and not just from headphones. Lord, help us, Lord, in this age. Help us to stand, and I pray that you'd raise up God-honoring, Bible-believing churches full of the love of God, full of love one toward another and full of love for their fellow men. I pray this in Jesus' name. Please, Lord, take this, this feeble wreck of a message. Lord God, I've done a, a terrible job presenting your truth, Lord. I'm praying that you would use it beyond my abilities, Lord. That's what it takes anyway. So that's what I'm asking you to do, Lord. Even if I spoke this with the tongues of men and of angels, Lord. But have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And this will do no good apart from you and your love and your power. So we commit this to you and ask you to use it, Father, in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake and his glory. Amen.